You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Music in the evangelical church has changed radically in the last 40 years. Changes in technology have combined with a new culture to create a unique set of challenges for the next generation of Christians. To help us think about this new culture and these new challenges, today on Christian Humanist Profiles, we are joined by Keith Getty. He probably needs no introduction to anyone who's been paying attention to Christian music in the last 20 years. He's the author of numerous modern hymns, including In Christ Alone, By Faith, The Power of the Cross, and many, many others. Most recently, he, with his wife Kristen, is the author of the book Sing, How Worship Transforms Your Life, Family, and Church. Well, Mr. Getty, thank you for joining us on the honor. podcast. Honor uh, to be on. Uh, so, uh, what's your what's your take on the state of uh, worship in evangelical churches today? Give us sort of an, an overview of it. Maybe tell us some strengths. Tell us some weaknesses. Uh, what's what's your read of the uh, the lay of the land? Sure. Well, you know, it's not really my choice. It's not really my job to to, to judge the church. I, I got involved in writing hymns in the year two thousand, and as we looked at historic Christianity um, in the Old Testament, New Testament. And through the Church Fathers, it came to a similar conclusion that Martin Luther came to 500 years ago. And that was that, 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 that the congregational singing is a holy privilege that is a representation of us as a family. Um, but that indeed congregational worship in itself um, is also a way that we learn our faith, we, that we, we grow deeply in our faith. So it must be rich and biblical. And thirdly, that, that on a personal level. Uh, music is is one of the highest and most beautiful gifts we've been given to God. So a high view of music, a high view of congregational singing, and a high view of theology. And um, so in the year two thousand, we, we we sort of as, as we as young sort of twenty somethings wanted to change the world. We looked at it. And went, I don't see these three things happening in congregational worship today. In fact, all three seem to be in decline. And so we started to write what we called modern hymns. You know, the first one, of course, was in Christ alone. Uh, really, with those three goals, uh, those three goals to try and, uh, you know, to, number one, uh, to, to to build rich biblical songs for to build rich biblical people. Um, and Luther, Luther believed that God's people learn their faith in significant part through what they sing. Indeed, his idea of reformation, for example, was reformation through the preaching and the singing of the word. This vision that the preacher would help us understand the word and that through singing the word we would take it we would sing it we would take it out of the room and into our minds and our hearts and our emotions and our memory banks and our prayers and into our lives and our on our speech and uh, our witness and so it would have been an anathema to Martin Luther for someone to preach for 40 minutes and then sing an, an emotional song that gives that gives your emotions a tweak at the end um, and and indeed and yet it seems, as I read the hymns of the Bible, that seems to be consistent. Um, the second thing is that this core privilege of congregational singing is that it is all our church music is built around that. You know, whether you're, whether you're an organist, a choir member, a, a rock musician, a worship leader, uh, a, a pastor, whatever it is, the, 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 co- the core thing is God's people singing together. And that, I believe, I believe if we follow the models of the Old Testament, it's actually in the home as well as the church. So that is the holy privilege. Um, of people, and then thirdly, um, th- this high view of music and artistry. You know, I, I, I suppose in some senses my music is is a direct expression of my musical influence. My musical, my influences were theology and, and poetry and classic poetry and and classical music uh, and I guess traditional folk music. Uh, but but I, it, it is still important that if we don't have a high view of art, then what we write is does not have the same power. You know, so so great hymns. 
have great songs, great, have the power to stay with us over a lifetime. And Luther understood this. And uh, uh, m most of the songs we sing today, e even in the hymn book movement, which was essentially launched with Martin Luther, the, 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 the qualification for a hymn being in a hymn book has always been, uh, can this hymn be sung for the duration of the hymn book? For the duration of the publication, 30 years, 50 years, whatever it is. Whereas the modern worship movement is, is, is always thinking, and it's not, I'm, saying, I'm not saying it's wrong, it's just different. It's saying, how can I write a song that speaks to the moment, that sounds like the moment, that sounds like radio at this moment? You can say that's wrong, it's okay. No, I, I, don't, necessarily, I'm, I don't think it's wholly wrong, but we have to recognize that it's different. Right. Um, and so we don't, we, don't, we don't build our diets, we don't build our education processes, we don't build our, our business plans around things that all die in three years' time because too many, of my, too many of my contemporaries who have fed themselves in these songs, their faith has gone the same direction as the, as the, as the in vogueness of the music they sang. You know, so, 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 so it's a very serious moment. We live in, I believe, the most exciting generation in the history of the world to be Christians. There are more Christians. The Bible is in more languages. And uh, the opportunity to communicate the gospel is greater than it has ever been. Um, but, but we also, uh, to, 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 to probably overquote Charles Dickens in Tale of Two Cities, we live in the best of times and we live in the worst of times. And so the challenges are greater. We, we need to build deep believers urgently. My, I, I, I kissed my daughters in the elevator before I walked into this interview. My daughters, I do not believe, will survive in their Christian faith unless we build, build deep kids, deep believers for this next generation. And... Uh so you, you, you talked about the, uh, the role of the hymn book in the church. Um, you maybe talk a little bit more about that, uh, particularly in an era when hymn books are disappearing from, from the church. Hymnals are, are less and less common. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not going to build an argument around, around technology. You know, that's a, you, know, the, you, know, the, you know the story of the Great American Railroads, the, the successful towns that decided to save their budgets and not build railway stations didn't mm -hmm. exist 50 years later. You know, so in one sense, we cannot control technology. The, the socioeconomics, the global economics of technology has and will always, I, I think, has certain absolutes to it. Not everyone totally agrees with that, but hmm. I think ultimately there's certain absolutes to it. And so, and so you know, but, but again, it, but, but, but when it comes to the hymn book, it's important to recognize what we're doing. You know, too many people have gone, okay, so we've moved from holding a book in our hands to looking up on the screen and having a wider access, having a theoretically wider access of songs and being able to throw our hands in the air. And everyone has gone, this is cool, this is radical, this is hip and this is in. But actually, hymn books did seven important things. So we have to recognize that those seven things have disappeared and, and, and work out, okay, how do we build healthy congregations? Most, most primarily, hymn books curate what we sing. You know, the hymn books replaced what came before them, before Luther's time. There was the dearth of congregational singing, but throughout church history, hymn books replaced either psalm singing or localized singing or liturgical worship. But either way, it was always curated, controlled by the church leadership. And so, and so with the hymn book, like I'm, I'm a Northern Irish Presbyterian, for example. We, the Northern Irish Presbyterians, we had a hymn book that, uh, that the church leaders sat down and went, OK, the, the, here's the whole canon of the character of God. Here's the whole gamut of human experience. Here's the church's year. Then here's the great historical hymns of the church. Then here's, the, here's hymns for every age group. And so they actually built up such a vast array of different, different subjects, different angles. 
Um, like the Psalms themselves, the Psalms talk about God as being majestic, as being holy, as being jealous, as being omnipotent, as being a judge, as well as being full of compassion and, and lover of peace, and who leads us like a shepherd and knows us like a friend and delights in our praises like a father. So, so if the songs we are singing in our church do not have that breadth as well as that depth, we have to question whether this is authentic worship. And stop t- describing authentic worship as being a certain type of emotion. No, authentic right. worship is the worship. It's an, it's an authentic picture of the God we worship. Right. For goodness sake, have an, an ounce of common sense, or never mind humility. Um, so the first thing is we're losing the curation. This is the first. This, there's an argument here. This is the first generation in Judeo-Christian history that the church has not curated what is being sung. Rather, what's being curated is actually being curated by Wall Street because over half the modern worship songs in the top 500 in CCLI are administrated by companies that are run by Wall Street. So you know what happens when Wall Street curates something. You know what the priorities are, right. ultimately. Not worship. <laughs> or, or an authentic picture of the character of God or the reality of eternity and hell right. and wrath and judgment. You know, So... so so we have to hear that's what's happening. Number two, uh, hymns, gave, hymns gave us a quality control because hymns, you know, a, a hymn had to be sung for the duration. Therefore, poetry had to be of a certain level. Um, thirdly, uh, hymns, give us, hymns give a historic humility. You know, I need the passion for the church and spiritual warfare that Martin Luther had that could look the devil in the eye and say he wasn't afraid. I, I, I need the beautiful settings of the Psalms that Calvin brought. I need the passionate revival of everyone from Wesley to Newton. I need the, 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 the urgency for the lost that the Salvation Army hymns had, you know, as well as the modern songs. So, so hymns give us a wonderful historic humility. Uh, again, uh, which, which 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 has been lost. Fourthly, the hymns, a hymn book in itself, becomes a devotional tool, um, because you know I, I my four grandparents all had hymn books by their bed, mm-hmm. you know, and so because because hymns speak to us in 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 ways that are, that that help our whole humanity, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, um, you know, twenty percent of the Bible is songs. Well, that, that's an, it's an important thing for our theologians to understand, that if 20% of the, the, the Holy Word is, is songs, that's how important singing is to our nature. My good friend Ricky Skaggs, who plays you know, the, the bluegrass legend, who plays in our, he's one of the special guests in our Christmas tour. He was playing, Carnegie Hall, playing our Carnegie Hall show one year, and uh, he pulled out. He was about to pull out because his, his father-in-law was, was getting dementia. And uh, it was a very traumatic time for the family. The next year, I didn't ask him. Then he phones me up and says, can I play the tour? And I said, sure, but, but um, I, I just presumed with your father-in-law. He goes, oh, no, he's off playing the Rikuder tour. And I said, but I thought he had dementia. And he goes, wow. yes, one of the sisters is traveling with him, but she, and he doesn't even know her name, but she lifts him onto the stage. He plays the entire show. So music is much more powerful in a way that systematic theology or biblical memorization or Bible college or endless sermons can never do. I make fun of my Reformed friends. I say to them, you know, if you've got a... Here's the thing. Before a whittler, but we're about to preach, and I go, listen, if you do a good sermon, people are going to go out singing the last hymn. If you do a bad sermon, people are going to go out singing the last hymn. Either way, you know, I'm the guy who's actually <laughs> controlling their minds, not you. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. so, so we have a lot of fun. They get really mad about that kind of stuff. But, <laughs> but so, 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 so there's, there's a wide value. I think we have to ask the questions if we're not using a hymn book. How are these things being? How are these things being being replaced? Um, because because even in that, even in those few examples, that is that is that is a very very significant change 
of how we build spiritual formation in the next generation. It doesn't take Einstein to work out that the depth of a believer from two generations ago is going to be significantly deeper right. than the depth of someone in our generation. And given the pressures that are around us, what hope does the church have? It's actually quite bleak unless we actually take a lead. Until church leaders, church thinkers, and church parents actually take a lead and say, no more, we've had enough. So I, uh, I, I want to keep going through the, the, the seven things that the hymn, uh, hymnals have done and what we're, we're sort of losing. But uh, just sort of on that for a minute, you, you've talked about how it's the job of music to oh, provide the energy, I guess, for, for mm-hmm. sort of like, and I think I heard you say that in an interview with Mark Dever, where, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the theology of the Reformation, of course, is there, but it's the music of the Reformation that really drives it. Sure. Um, I mean, yeah, actually read the history. I mean, the history, when Luther was still alive, there was more people, they had more, they had more, uh, Armies sent, or, or government people, trying to, uh, try, or, or, or church people trying to, trying to stop his hymns being something to kill him. Right. So in other words, the hymns have become a bigger problem than he was. But, but how is that not? See, so you've said that the, uh, it's not the point of the music to get us all stirred up emotionally. Like how, yeah. how are those different? Can, can you sort of work that out a little? Well, well, all, all art stirs us up emotionally. Sure. The, the very definition of art is, is that art, art, art communicates with our emotions. In ways that words can't, that gives us a unique picture. You know, when when kids come up to me and ask how you write a song, you, you mean you say it's it's really straightforward. You just have to think about something that no one in the history of the world has thought about so far. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's all you got to do, and that touches people. Right. You know, once you've got that, you're in. You know, and uh, you know, so 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 music 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 has to be about that. And and there's a huge danger here because what has happened is people have become so obsessed about about tickling people's emotions as the easiest way to reach. The next generation, or or or, or to at least postpone, postpone the the exit from church of the next generation, mm-hmm. you know, um, what has then happened is, uh, you know, among the conservative r- response to that, is a lot of the conservative response has been to to, to say no, what we need is sound theology and, and singable lyrics, and that's that's only right in one of the two senses of the meaning of that syntax. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes, I accept that a mighty fortress is sound theology and singable lyrics, but actually it's extraordinary poetry. And it's a melody of which a shape has never been seen before or since and that everybody hears once in their life and they remember it till, for 60, 70 years. That's how good it is. You think about that. You hear that melody once, you'll never forget the rest of your life. That's how good that music is. And so if we are not writing art of the finest quality, albeit for the genre of hymn or popular song, depending on how you define it, then you can't expect to touch people. You know, I, I've had guys say, well, we've written these good hymns, but the church don't want them there. You know, they're, 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 it's, it's just, a, it's just a, it's a decadent generation and rebellion, you know, that are falling away. And it's actually because the songs suck. Do you know what I mean? That's the, that's the problem. So we, you know, we, we have to be, we have to be great song. We have to be great artists, which is why, you know, if we want to see, if we want to see a generational change uh, among, among, let's say, confessional Christians or, you know, you know some people would say conservative or reform. I prefer to say confessional Christians. It's a much broader, umbra- broader, broader, and more healthy umbrella, I think. Yes. Um, then, then I would say. Then I would say we need to be, we need to be a generation that is artistically curious. You know, my parents didn't get everything right, but they did. They, they had a very narrow musical interest as well, which in some ways didn't help me, but in some ways did. And and one of the things was, you know, I was encouraged to listen to you know, three different versions of, surely he has borne our griefs from the Messiah, and and decide which one I thought was best. You know, because art is important. You know, we should we should think. I prefer Daniel Barenboim's performance of Beethoven's sonatas than 
than our local guy Barry Douglas, who actually was I thought it was great as well. But you know, you know, so but we need to, you know, we we need to be curious, creative people, sure. you know, uh, and. Uh, uh, and, and I think that to breed a generation, a gener- to, to get a generational change, I think ultimately requires that. Which is why, for example, the Sing Conference. We've <coughs> we've now invested in a, in a classical music pre-program to try and bring the best of the next generation's artists <coughs> into direct contact with the best, the best of the next generation's church leaders. So, at a philosophical level, they're, they're recognizing each other. At a personal level, they're meeting each other. Then, when we do events at a practical level. We're basically, <laughs> depending on how you look at it, giving people worked examples or showing people that it can be cool, you know, so, <laughs> depending on how you process. Depending on their age, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even sure. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, well, other, I, I, I sort of derailed us there a little bit. Uh, uh, other, other sort of changes that you've, you've seen as the church uh, as the uh, as the church culture has changed, I think we were on the, the fourth use, I believe, of, of the hymnal. You were oh, I, I, I'm the lost in the hymnal. I've forgotten. Oh, that's okay. We, we can. But we can, um, uh, <laughs> um, I, you know, I think I think the biggest shock for me, you know, I knew with the modern worship movement and the hymns, I knew that I knew that the lyrics were not as biblical and not as robust and not as po- not as <coughs> deep. It didn't take Einstein to work that out. I also knew, as a somebody with a sort of a Lutheran high view of music and art and creativity, I knew that these songs were not poetry, nor were they musical, right. nor were the melodies classic. They were they were painful, and they weren't even you know. But what I never really, what it took me a long time to fully digest was actually the lack of singability of both the songs and the lack of vision for singability in congregations. Three years ago, we did a survey. We did these leadership events that we're going to do one in this church today, a small one in this church today. And uh, we did a survey. So I said, what's the first thing you think about? If I asked you, describe your church's music, give me it in a word. Not on the air, sorry. Okay, <laughs> okay. So, or if I ask you, on Sunday, when you're going, for, you're having your roast, roast beef, and roasting the, roasting the, roasting the leadership of the church. What do you say about the music? Or on a Monday, if you're involved in leadership and you're having to review the Sunday services, which I hope everybody does, um, how would you review the music? In 13 talks, how many people mentioned congregational singing like that? None. Yeah. In 13 talks, not one person involved in church music started from the point of view of how did our congregation sing. Well, that's, I mean, that, that's, that's actually just about unbelievable. But it actually, sadly, it's believable. So, so what makes a song singable? Like, if, if, if we want congregation, congregations to be involved, what's the difference between, you know, A Mighty Fortress, which I mean, maybe that's not a great example, because like you said, it's clearly great art, but, you know, A, yeah. a, a Mighty Fortress, and whatever's, you know, the latest well, Christian artist is. Well, I, don't, I mean, you know, we want to sing good songs. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to work out good songs. My four-year-old knows good songs. I picked, sure. I, my, my, you know... My kids, my kids can sing good songs as opposed to average songs because they connect with it. It's like good food as opposed to average food. It doesn't pop. The popular art is is connecting with the masses. Do you know what I mean? And so, and so there's a. There's been, I think the problem is, what what we realized was there is an entire lost generation now with congregational singing. The modern worship movement has so ripped the heart out of, out of, congregational singing in the church. That there's an entire re-education. It is. It is without trying to. We 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 set up this thing this year. We're in 2017 to 2020. We're actually taking the model of what Luther did in 1517 to 1520, which is this year re- with the book and the conference re-establish congregational singing with the sing book and the sing conference. Then over the three years, 18, 
moving to the Psalms, which is what he did next, of course, Psalm 46 was a mighty fortress, Psalm 130 was out of the depths, here are these three Psalms, then going from there to, to hymns that catechize what we believe, which is what he did next, and then, and then eventually bring, bring it into publications online and physical hymn books, uh, which, he did, which he did next. And so we're really trying to do the, copy the same model again, but it begins with actually understanding. So, you know, why do we sing in the first place? Well, we sing, there, there's three obvious reasons. We sing because we're commanded. It's, it's an act of obedience. In fact, in fact, to sing or to praise is the second most common command or exhortation in Scripture. It's that important. It is that crucial. I mean, to not sing is, is just disobedience. So when you see a pastor that waxes lyrical about church growth or theology and doesn't bother singing or doesn't even turn up to sing in your church, you should question. You should question them. If, if you see a father who isn't singing in church or deliberately looks like he doesn't care, that's not a good sign. In fact, I can tell you from my background, those guys, usually their kids end up not being Christians. Daddies who don't sing is a terrible thing. It wasn't meant to be a rhyme. It just happened. Um, <laughs> In the next song, that should be there. <laughs> yeah. The, um, you know, you know it, it actually might be a good little lesson song sometime. I yeah. think it might it could be helpful. Um, I think I'll take that. I'm not a think about it, actually. Okay, I'll nobody take, take this. Okay, this is copyright me. I'm, gonna, I'm calling my lawyers, Bernstein and Bernstein, <laughs> right now. We're owning that, trademarking it. Okay, moving on. So, um, yeah, so, yeah, and... Uh, so, so, so we're commanded to sing. It's an act of obedience. It's disobedience not to, um, in almost all circumstances. We all have exceptional circumstances. Secondly, we're created to sing. You know, the God, God has created each one of us with these voices and desires that we sing. And, you know, <clears throat> often when you get into the conversation about singing, it, it goes something like this. You know, well, I've got a PhD in engineering and I have a good job. And, you know, I'm a fairly kind of calm guy. I like to keep the house organized. I like to mow the lawn on a Saturday. My wife's a bit of an emotional lunatic. You know, she likes to sing. Do you know what I mean? Because it kind of goes to her. Hands in the air once gets in a her, while. Gets, yeah. her, gets her whole emotional sure. tick, you know. And, um, and uh, that's, that, that, that's okay, except it's not true. And that all of us, you know, if, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, which all Christians should, then God sovereignly decided that your voice should be as good as it is and mine should be as good as mine is. My wife should be as good as hers is. You know, I tried to sing backing vocal this morning and, uh, and the Lord's my shepherd and my wife looked at me as if to say, don't do that. It's not helpful. And uh, so, you know, so, so, you know, I have three daughters. Eliza's six, Grace, Charlotte's three, Gracie is two. Um, Eliza's six, well, we do a hymn each month. So we do we're doing Holy, Holy, Holy in February. Eliza sings holy, holy, holy perfectly. Does a bow at the end. She's an old, overachieving oldest child, wanting to impress. And uh, ask us, was it the best performance I'd ever heard? Yes, of course it was, Eliza. Brilliant performance. Charlotte is three. She's maverick, so she's rolling her eyes. We said, okay, Charlotte, do you want to sing it? No. Okay, Charlotte, don't you sing it. We'll leave you out. Yes, I want to sing it. Okay, so Charlotte sings it. And then she does this at the end. You know, she's rolling her eyes. She just thinks this is so cool. That's fine. Then Gracie, our two-year-old, sings it. And she sings, holy, holy, holy. How I wonder what you are <laughs> up above the world so high. Now, the point is, whether she gets holy, holy and twinkle, twinkle mixed up, which actually, you know, melodically, are, they're pretty similar. Sure. You, know, uh, you know, as a dad, I delight in all their singing. And so our Heavenly Father delights in our singing. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, all of us, all of us have, conf- all of us have voices that are confessional standard, not necessarily professional standard. And, and to go back to the daddy comment, Zach White's dad, who, is a, who were a fine Missouri family, you know, was was an inspiration to his kids by, by passionate, engaged singing the truths of the Lord. Mm-hmm. He could not sing in tune, not his whole life, but his he's now got kids in full time music ministry because he loved him so much. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and the third thing is we're command, we, we we're compelled to sing by the gospel. So we're command, we're commanded, we're created, we're also compelled by the gospel to sing. You know, it's, it's it has been the, the 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 response of the ages when the Lord acts in our lives. 
that we respond in singing. Mm. You know, it's a natural thing too when Ireland beat England at rugby. You know, we, we, we <laughs> shout, we sing, we probably say a few, sing a few songs that maybe we shouldn't. But um, when, when, when we respond, what the God is on, you, you know, Kristen's dad, when I, I, I remember visiting Kristen early on, we were going for a date and uh, came into the house and he said, do you want a coffee? And I thought, that's really nice. And of course, I didn't realize he was just, he was just kind of watching what I was doing, you know. He was just being a dad. But, <laughs> but he was watching this, this video of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And they were um, singing, I'm clean, I'm clean, I've been washed by the blood. And this guy whose story had been taken off, the, well, basically had been left for dead on the streets through crack cocaine. <laughs> Life had been transformed. And here he was with the joy and the jubilance and the depth of peace in his heart and the tears streaming down his face. That is a microcosm of what the Bible says singing is. Mm. We look at what God has done, who he is, and, and so we sing. So, so <coughs> we understand theologically why we sing. But secondly, we need to understand the importance of singing as well. You know, it is God's people learn their faith. They memorize it. You know, we, tonight we're in the Facing a Task Unfinished concert. So many of the missionaries that we met and talked to and read biographies of well, there's two categories of missionaries. There's ones who've had radical conversions. The rest who wrote up in Christian homes. Every single one talks about the hymns they learned as children because they stick with us. They, they build us to be deeper believers. They, they're the things that compel them to want an extraordinary career, even though most of them are pretty extraordinary people. Um, they're the things that help them through difficult times. They're the things that, that ground them in seasons of doubt. The doubt, doubt is a perfectly natural part of the Christian life. Only, only, stupidity, only stupidity theology acts like people don't have doubts or are liars. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, and, uh, and uh, singing is what helps people face death. Sure. And so, you know, it is such an important thing in our personal lives. It's such an important thing in our family lives. I, I, every day of my life, I've come out that if I'm on a stage, I'm going to make sure people know that if you're not singing with your children and praying with them, you have no business being a stage leading a congregation or leading a youth group, or leading a church. And so that, that, with every day of my life, I remind myself of that as an important, sober lesson to myself. You know, you know the New England Puritans who brought Christianity to this country, and uh, mostly in the Northeast, but eventually came across here in Missouri as well, of course, you know, they, they, they wouldn't allow a man to take the Lord's Supper if he hadn't prayed and, and, and sung with his children every day. Because they said that's the most important thing. Sure. You have a job, or you, 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 you know, you... You, you you fix the yard or play with the kids or get involved in the community or you know you you know be sweet to your wife's fine but but this is that's not the most important thing. Well, and, and maybe that answers just start. I know so, you, you have to go, but practically, yeah. what do we do? Like, what what's your practical guidance? So I think yeah, I think we think about it. We, 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 we I think we understand. I mean, I mean, did this in the book saying which we're really encouraging people. It's um, we're really encouraging people and 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 elders and worship bands and songwriters and choirs and churches as a whole. And families to read through. It takes an hour and a half to read, um, but but it's a it's we, it's five things. Number one, why do we sing? We look at those three things: creative, command, and compelled. Then we go: how does this change us as individuals? How do we become deep believers? Then how do we build our families? Let's. And you don't have to become the von Trapps. It's just it's just it's just a question of how do we even take the technology that is ripping families and marriages to shreds, and redeem it by having it play the songs of the Lord. I remember, I remember John MacArthur once speaking to me, and I was expecting him to say, I asked him about advice on parenting. I was expecting him to go on about doctrine, teaching, theological study, and sermons. And he said, the most important thing is what you sing. It's the singing is the key thing with kids. Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it. 
But he said, no, the singing's the, the singing's the most important because it sings it into their mind. And he said, we, they used to fill their car with cassettes and their, and their kitchen and their living room, where life is. Fill it with songs of the Lord. And then, and then next, as congregation, let's remember, this is what it is to be. The church is the, ultimately the picture of heaven. Every tribe, nation, people, language, people. So we get together in church. We don't just sit at home on our podcasts because we need each other. And so when we sing as a family, we sing to one another because we need each other. We're reminding each other. Let's remember all this kind of modern thing about you know worship music being this kind of this kind of mysterious kind of therapy kind of thing that it is. Talk is is is, is, is that's that's narcissism. That's not Christianity, you know. And so we want we we come to sing to each other, to remind each other, to encourage each other, because we need each other. And so that part of why we're singing on a Sunday is because the person in the next pew needs to hear us sing. They need that encouragement. We don't know where they are in their life. And finally, that congregational singing is a, a radical, radical witness. It, always, it has fired people to mission, but even at the most basic level, it is always a witness. Us standing and singing is a witness to our kids yet to believe, to the unsaved cynical spouse, to the visitors in our churches on a Sunday, that this is the most important thing right now. This is the most important thing in our life. This is an unspeakable holy privilege to sing to the God of the universe, despite everything that we are. It was, it was, a, it was an English uh, missiologist say, it was once asked, he said, will revival ever come back to England? And he said, well, can you sing? Because hmm. as he looked at the revivals, I don't know, the same thing can be said about the American revivals. The, the biggest, the, the first sign of, of, the, of life is the symbolism of worship. And similarly, similarly, that in turn is a witness to the outsider, a warm witness in a society where we can't even, where marriages fall apart, where families fall apart, where we can't be civil to our neighbours, where we can't have a conversation about social and political issues without like starting, starting a fist fight. Here is actually the beauty of God's people, singing together to their Creator and Redeemer. Singing can't save a soul, but, but it does point us to the one who can, so very beautifully. Well, that's a great place to stop. Thank you so much for coming on. Really Thanks so much indeed. Here. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for joining us as well. If you have comments or questions, please feel free to post them on the show notes at christianhumanist.com, send an email to thechristianhumanist at gmail.com, or comment on the Facebook page. Christian Humanist Profiles is a program on the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Our press liaison is Kristen Philippic. Our audio editor is Britt Stack. Be listening for the next episode of Christian Humanist Profiles. <laughs>